Good morning. Good morning, everyone. We're glad that you're here at Boiling Springs Baptist Church this morning. Uh, our flower arrangement this morning uh, is in honor and appreciation of Candy, of the choir, and the musicians for all of their hard work and dedication in presenting our cantata last week. And so if you will join me in uh, expressing our appreciation for them one more time. There was a good narrator also. <laughs> we are glad that you have chosen to worship with us at Boiling Springs Baptist. Uh, we look forward to our youth handbells and leading us in worship, and we are glad that you're here today. Today I'm reading from the Amplified Version of Luke 19, verses 28 through 41. After saying these things, Jesus went on ahead of them, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethany and Bethany, and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a donkey's colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anybody asks you, why are you untying the colt? You will say, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found the colt just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their robes over the colt and put Jesus on it. 
As he rode along, people were spreading their coats on the road as an act of homage before a king. As soon as he was approaching Jerusalem, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the entire multitude of the disciples, all those who were or claimed to be his followers, began praising God, adoring him enthusiastically, joyfully, with loud voices for all the miracles and works of power that they had seen, shouting, Blessed, celebrated, praise is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory, majesty, splendor in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples for shouting these messianic praises. Jesus replied, I tell you, if these people keep silent, the stones will cry out in praise. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it and the spiritual ignorance of his people.
I'll be reading John's account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Our processional hymn of praise this morning is number 175, All Glory, Laud, and Honor, 175. If you are able, please stand and join in singing.
Next hymn is The Wonderful Cross. You will find the words printed in your order of service and also on the screens. If you are able, please stand and join and sing.
Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your blessings, your love, your kindness to us, more than my mind can comprehend. And Lord, as we come here this morning, we pray that as we return just a small portion of what you've given us back to you, that this portion would be used for your blessings and honors and that may be used to win others to thee. For we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to share, ain't no rock, ain't no rock gonna shout for me. Listen to these words from Matthew. As he was approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest heaven. 
Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. choir. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Thank you, choir. And we have uh, ushered Jesus in uh, several times this morning into Jerusalem we, through our music and through the children's sermon and through the choir special this morning. But in our text right now, we are moving towards the cross in Luke 23, beginning at verse 33. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching, but the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, 
This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sunlight failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breast. But all, this, but all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. May God add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word this morning. sermon series over the last few weeks, we have been in, a, in one called God on the Move, and we have journeyed with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. This morning he has arrived at Jerusalem, and we have journeyed with him from, from physical place to place, but my hope, uh, more importantly than understanding and, and realizing where we've been or remembering that, is my hope is, is that he has moved within our hearts as we have journeyed towards the cross. This morning we will be 
there at the cross. Uh, we're, I'm going to summarize some things that took place between his entry into Jerusalem and the cross this morning, but we'll end up at the cross. And of course, next Sunday, I invite you to be back for Easter Sunday. Let me also say that uh, this afternoon, we certainly do want to continue to remember the family of Cheryl Daves and uh, the service for Mildred Arnold. Her mom will be this afternoon at three o'clock at Clay Barnett. And so we want to continue to remember them as we uh, worship together this morning. Um, this morning, Jesus now has finally moved into the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus is now finally allowing the people to do what he has since, before this, told them not to do, and that is to praise him. The crowds, his disciples, others are shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees are saying, if you read back in the, in the text, we've read, I think, it from, from every gospel this morning, we've looked at this passage, which I think is great. But his disciples, or the Pharisees, the leaders, were saying, aren't you going to rebuke your disciples? And then Jesus says to them, if we are silent, the stones will cry out. The contemporary English version says the stones will shout out. And our, the translation of our choir this morning was, ain't no rock going to shout for me. Is that what it was? Is that, did I get that right? Something like that. Um, so I don't want the rocks to take the place of my praising. I don't know about you. But... Um, uh, scripture tells us that he entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Zechariah 9.9, the prophecy says, your king comes to you righteous, victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey. And that prophecy was fulfilled on this day when Jesus came into Jerusalem. So not only does this day he comes into Jerusalem, but the next day, or some say even later that evening, Jesus is in the temple and he clears the temple. And by the way, if anyone ever asks you what would Jesus do? Let me just say that, um, remind you that flipping over tables and chasing people with, with a whip is not out of the realm of possibilities. So just be mindful of that. But as this week continues, Jesus is questioned. He's questioned before the high priest Caiaphas. Uh, on Thursday, the disciples eat the last supper with Jesus. And I invite you as a church family to join us for what is a very special and memorable service in the Passion Week and our Holy Week on Thursday night at seven o'clock as we'll gather in here for communion and remember that time of Jesus with his disciples. But later that night, Jesus goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane with three of his disciples who he later once again has to remind to stay awake, to be alert. Uh, the time is near. And um, of course, Judas, we know, betrays Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers come. There's the uh, Caiaphas and Malchus, the slave of the high priest, who, who will make a, a surprise visit on Easter sunrise morning, by the way, at seven o'clock. Come and join us. But Peter, um, thinking what Jesus, some of the things that mis maybe misinterpreted some of the things that Jesus said, the impulsive Peter grabs uh, a sword. I don't know if, I don't think it was Peter's. Maybe it was one of the others and grabs it and, and goes for Malchus. And he was going for more than his ear, but he cut off his ear. And then Jesus said, put away your sword. And he takes Malchus's ear, ear and he heals it. So Jesus, again, is arrested. Peter denies Jesus the three times. Uh, we've, many of you know that story. And so now, the next morning, they bring Jesus before Pilate. Uh, Pilate is the governor of uh, Judea, and they bring Jesus before him. And Jesus is accused of misleading the people. He's accused of, uh, so they say, uh, discouraging people to pay taxes, which is not, which by the way, tomorrow's an important day. You've got a few hours to finish uh, getting those things ready. But they accuse him of not paying taxes. And the biggest thing, they accuse him of saying that he himself is Christ the King. Pilate found no guilt in Jesus. 
In our text today and even before our text, I think it's like five different times where Pilate and now both Herod say, I found no guilt in this man. So Pilate stands him before the people. He reminds the people that um, he's found no guilt in him. And when, when the people hear or when Pilate hears Jesus say that he is from Galilee, he's like, ah, oh, I know how I can get out of this. And so he sends him to Herod. And as he stands before Herod, Herod, again, this is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the one who was uh, responsible for the killing of John the Baptist. John the Baptist tried to confront him about who his wife was and how you can't do this. And that, wasn't, that didn't go over well for John the Baptist. And so uh, his life ended. And so this is no joke to go, for Jesus to go before Herod. But Herod wants Jesus to come before him almost not because he believes he's the Messiah, but because he wants Jesus to entertain him. He's heard of these miracles. He heard of these, of these tricks, if you will, that Jesus does. And so he's hoping that Jesus will show him something. But as he's before Herod, Herod also, again, finds no guilt in Jesus. He mocks him, he puts a crown of thorns on him, he puts a, a robe on him, and he sends him back to Pilate. And so Pilate is now in the situation once again. He had sent him to Herod. Now, Pilate really did not want to condemn Jesus. And so Jesus, again, is before Pilate. And Pilate says, well, and he's thinking, maybe there's one other way I can get out of this. Because Pilate, again, said, this man is innocent. He found no guilt in Jesus. And the crowds, and he's saying, you know, typically on Passover, we release someone. And Pilate's hoping that they would say Jesus, but they didn't. They say, release the insurrectionist, release the murderer, Barabbas, release Barabbas. And so he asked to the crowds, what would you have me do with Jesus? And they keep shouting, crucify, crucify him, crucify him. And so Pilate gave the crowd what they wanted against his wishes. They released Barabbas and gave him, excuse me, and sent Jesus to Golgotha. I often wonder what happened with Barabbas. Maybe that's another sermon for another Easter. But I um, wonder if his life was changed as he watched the events unfold over those next few days. Today's text begins at verse 33 in Luke 23. Jesus is being crucified on Golgotha between two known thieves. Or in Latin, the word is, is Calvary. Um, or in some translations, it says the place of the skull. And I have been there. I've seen the mountain, and it truly does. Some of you have seen pictures, and it truly does look like uh, the face of the skull. If I mention the term famous last words, we have a few of those of Jesus here. But some of you, there, if I share, and some of you may think of others you could share with me after the service. But uh, famous last words, uh, Todd, uh, Todd Beamer, was that his name, the, with the... Um, he was on the flight from, uh, to Pennsylvania, or I'm not sure the destination, but he was over Pennsylvania on, on 9-11 when he says, are you guys ready? Those famous words when he says, are you guys ready? Let's roll. And that was the last words we heard from him. Other famous last words. In the Civil War, General John Sedwich said, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. Famous last words. Steve Jobs, who started this little business known as Apple Computers in his family garage, is known as saying, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. We find here in Luke 23, Jesus' last words. I counted them this week. There are 33 words that Jesus, according to, to Luke's account, that Jesus said on the cross. And I ask you this morning, if we had 30, I ask myself as well, if we had 33 words left to say before our final breath, what would they be? And what were Jesus' last words? 33 words from the cross. 
Luke first tells us Jesus spoke to the men condemning him, the men flogging him, the men that had nailed him to the cross, the men that had spit in his face, the men that were accusing him and saying all these lies, all these different things about Jesus. At that moment, Luke tells us Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Those standing around may have thought, it's funny that a condemned man was offering forgiveness. They may have wondered who he was speaking to. Was he talking to the Jewish leaders? Was he talking to the Romans? Was he talking to Judas, to the thieves, to all those that were responsible for his death? Who was he talking to when he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing? Maybe to Pilate, maybe to Herod. Jesus has been beaten, he has been nailed to a cross, and he continues to show us God's love. When you look at this in the Greek language, it denotes this idea that it maybe wasn't the only time Jesus said this. It could have been a continual message of Jesus. With each, you wonder, with each lash, with each accusation, with each um, time that someone spit upon him, with each time that someone threw something at him or whipped him, Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. To his dying breath, Jesus keeps harping on forgiveness and his message of loving one's enemies. Forgiveness is at the core of the gospel message. It is at the core of the Christian message. We are forgiven people. We are forgiven not because of anything that we have done. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we realize that we are sinful and forgiven, it is the hope, my hope for myself and for you that all of us can continue that message of forgiveness to others when we have been wronged as well. The scripture tells us that two criminals were on each side of Jesus. And if you look back in verse 39, you see this conversation, this dialogue that's going on. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And if indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And then we hear some other famous last words of Jesus. He said to this criminal, to this thief, to this murderer, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, we may, we may think that that word is mentioned often throughout scripture. Of course, the word heaven is mentioned often. The word paradise is not mentioned that often throughout scripture. In the New Testament, it's only mentioned three times. It has a connotation back to the Garden of Eden. And I love the idea that Jesus is telling this thief on the cross today, I get this idea at least in my head this week, today you and I will walk together in the garden. That was the last thing that that thief was thinking of at that time. But to hear the words of Jesus, love, uh, the, the loving words that Jesus spoke to that thief on the cross, to me, I, I get that picture in my mind when I think of paradise. We go back to the Garden of Eden, what truly paradise looked like. And Jesus says to that criminal, to that thief, today you will walk with me in the garden. This story in this passage tells us, above all things, it is never too late to turn to Christ. We are too old for that now. Have you ever heard that expression? Um, maybe this thief on the cross was thinking it's too late 
I'm too old for that now. I think about it in relationship to uh, being able to dunk a basketball. I used to, I, 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 at one time, be able to do that. Uh, but it is too late for that now. Um, many have said this in the room about something in your own life. We can never say, but we can never say this about turning to Christ. So long as our hearts are beating, the invitation to come to Christ still stands. A poet once wrote of a man who was killed as he was thrown from his galloping horse. And he says, between the stirrup and the ground, mercy I ask and mercy I found. For all living humankind, it is true that while there is life, there is hope. As we continue in our story, verses 44 and 45, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn into. A significant verse for the life of the church, a significant verse for the Christian, for the believer, that now no longer is, do we not have access to the throne room of God? When we think about the high priest in the Old Testament, many of you have been in Sunday school classes where we've talked about this. There was the, the Holy of Holies and only the high priest could go in there and then only once a year and then he had to have something tied around his ankle because if he didn't go in perfectly clean and right with God, he could fall dead and they would have to pull him out. But no one could go in there where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so what separated the high priest in this, from this Holy of Holies was a veil. And the scripture tells us that this veil was torn in two, symbolizing and signifying the fact that you and I and that any of those who turn to Christ now have direct access to God. We do not have to go through a mediator. Now in verse 46, we see the second prayer of Jesus. The first was, Father, forgive them. And the second prayer of Jesus' last words is a prayer of relinquishment. Jesus said, crying out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Again, the first prayer of Jesus that we talked about earlier was a prayer of forgiveness. This is a prayer of relinquishment. In the last prayer of Jesus, he offers to his father what he has been offering all along. He offers God his life into his hands. This prayer comes from Psalm 31.5 in the Old Testament. It was often a bedtime prayer for the Hebrew children and their parents. It is a prayer of letting go. Father, I am in your hands. I commit to you my spirit. I am now letting go. And they would often pray this at the end of the day. A prayer where we pray, God, take my sticky fingers off the controls and place my life in better hands than mine. Or as Carrie Underwood would say, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> It is here from the cross where we hear the last words of Christ breathe before his last breath. In John 19, verse 30, we're not looking at uh, John's entire passage today. We've looked at Luke, but John mentions one more saying of Christ on the cross. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. Having fulfilled every command of the Father, every prophecy of Scripture, uh, scripture Jesus voluntarily died. This was a cry of completion. Jesus had done what he came to do. There's a quote that says, the end of all had been gained, nothing was left undone. This last Wednesday, I asked both our 11 o'clock Bible study and our 6 p.m. Bible study, when was the time that you first remember hearing about Jesus and the crucifixion? What impact do you remember the first time that this story had an impact on you? I shared with the fact that I don't remember a time not knowing about the cross and about the crucifixion, 
but I can talk time that it had an impact on my life. As a nine-year-old boy, I realized that I'd been going to church and to Christian school and memorizing scripture and all these different things. And as I heard the message of Christ proclaimed, I realized that I had not made this personal in my life. And so I did that as a nine-year-old boy. But then I remember in youth group and hearing stories and being at, I say camps or Bible studies even at church and things like this and just things becoming much more real to me about the significance of the cross, the significant suffering. In order to celebrate next Sunday, we must go with Jesus. That's been, in, in many ways, the goal of this God on the Move sermon series is to travel with Jesus, not only from place to place, but with our emotions as well as in his teachings and with his thoughts and with his, with his agony and with his emotions is to walk with Jesus as he goes towards the cross. And so I ask you, has the cross impacted you in a way that has been personal? When was the first time that you heard about the cross and that the message, the significance of the cross impacted your life and maybe changed the way that you were living? The cross means many things to many different people. Um, We see a cross at the highest point of our church, and I hope that cross is always there. Um, I heard the story one time of a little boy who didn't, he was lost, he didn't know how to get back home. And the one thing that he told the man who asked where he lived, he said, the only thing that I can remember is that I see a cross near my house. The cross helped him find his way home. I think for us as believers, uh, and even for the world who's yet to come to faith in Christ, the cross helps us find our way home. Not only does it help us find our way home on this earth, with significance and purpose and passion for living, but it helps and reminds us as well of our eternal home. But the cross, we see it not only here before me, we see it on the top of our uh, sanctuary, we see it in our baptistry, we, many of us maybe even this morning have a cross around our neck, we see it in places in our home, we see it in community. The cross means many different things to different people, but the number one, I wanna share four things with you really quick. The, the number one, the cross, is love. As I said earlier, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for sinners. He died for people who had lost their way. And this cross was also something that was not forced on someone as well. The, rem- the message of the cross remains a gift of love to those who are undeserving. And above all, the cross is a symbol of love. Secondly, the cross is personal. God has reached down to us. Our message, our response now, if you will, again, that's what we're asked, is our, what is our response to God reaching down to us? But the cross is very personal. And like I said, I had grown up hearing about the cross. I grew up knowing about the cross. But I ask you this morning, were you, are you now like me when I was as a younger child? I've known about the cross, I've heard about the cross, but is the cross personal to you? The cross is love. The cross is also personal. And not only is it that, but it's also prophetic. There are many prophecies throughout Scripture. We can begin looking at Genesis all the way through the Old Testament about the prophecies of the cross. No words more famous than Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, actually 4 through 6. He says, Surely he took upon our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our injustices. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
The cross was prophesied from the beginning of time. And Jesus, in the moment that we sit here this morning, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the Last Supper, the persecutions, the suffering under Pilate, under Herod, and now as he's there on the cross between two thieves, this was prophesied from the beginning of time as we look back through our scriptures in the Old Testament. And the last point this morning, perfect timing in this, as we get to the cross, the cross is final. Jesus, with his arms stretched wide, the last words that we know come out of his mouth, it is finished. My work is completed. So many of us gaze at the cross and hold on to past hurt and to past pain. They don't belong on our back any longer. Jesus has taken them on his. The debt is paid, look to the cross and receive salvation. As I close, I'm going to go back to where I started. The crowds, the followers of Jesus were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Is the praise of our Lord Jesus on our lips this morning? Do we understand the path? As we've talked about God on the move, do we understand the path that God has taken for each of us and for each of us in the world. Not only for those of us gathered in the sanctuary this morning, but do we understand the cross? Do we understand the path that Jesus has taken for the entire world? It is a message of love, it is a message of forgiveness, and it's not one that's just recorded in the history books, it's one that is alive and well in me. And my hope and prayer is that the message of the cross is alive and well in you. It is hope, it is salvation. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And I ask you a question. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? We talk a lot in um, church about forgiveness and the forgiveness that's offered through Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about the fact that we should offer forgiveness to others. But I want to ask you very personally this morning, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? I want to invite you to pray a prayer silently with me if you've never done this before in your life, whether you're a young child or maybe you're up in age. Um, I want to invite you to, to pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. I turn from my sin and I now invite you into my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. If today you invited, or if you said that prayer, maybe you said it for the first time, I would love to talk with you during our time of invitation or after the service. Please come and talk with me. We have other leaders that you could talk to as well. The message of the cross is a message of love and a message of forgiveness. We have ushered in again into Jerusalem with words of praise, but we've ended our time here this morning at the cross of Jesus Christ. As Jesus prayed a prayer of relinquishment, when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, I ask you this morning, is that your prayer? Is that our prayer? God, we are yours, and into your hands we commit our lives here in this place, in Boiling Springs Baptist Church, not knowing what that will look like next week or the next or the next month or the next year, not knowing what God will do in our lives, not knowing where God will move us in the future. But can we join with Christ in that spirit of his words on the cross into your hands, I commit my spirit. We're going to stand and sing a song that 
is, a, is a great song for our day today. How deep the Father's love for us. It reminds us of the love and the forgiveness that's offered through Jesus Christ and the cross. I invite you to let these words speak to you. If you desire again to talk, to pray, to, if you've committed your life to Christ, I'd love to talk with you about how we can help you grow and what it means to, to know Christ and to follow him as well. Let's stand and sing hymn number 178, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Before the benediction, let me remind you that the service for Mildred Arnold will be at 3 o'clock this afternoon at Clay Barnett with receiving of friends beginning at 2 o'clock. Also, our Guatemala team will be meeting to make some preparations for an upcoming fundraiser in May for the fish fry, but also for the trip itself, and that meeting will take place at 4.30. In light of the last two or three weeks, there's been some transition on the team, and if you are still interested and you haven't spoken with me or someone else that you know is going, please talk with me because we do have two or three spots open for that trip. If you're interested and maybe you don't want to commit yet, still come to the meeting today and you could learn more about that opportunity uh, August the 3rd through the 10th this year. Um, again, let me remind you, there are no services on Wednesday. Join us on Thursday night for the Monday Thursday service at 7. Easter Sunday, next Sunday, 7 o'clock in our prayer garden. We'll have a su surprise visit from Malchus. 
and pancake breakfast to follow, and then, of course, Sunday school and Easter service. And we hope you can plan on being here and invite someone to join you, maybe someone who's not active in a local church. Receive now this benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen.